Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus podcast, another Macro Matters edition. Well, today we will be talking about interest rates and obviously the Federal Reserve, since it is the day after the January Fed meeting where Jay Powell uh, spooked the markets. The uh, equity market went was up several percent and then wound up ending the day down after uh, Jay Powell gave his post-meeting press conference. I'm Ira Jersey, the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. With me today are my colleagues from Bloomberg Intelligence, Angela Monolatos, who is a rate strategist covering both the U.S. and Canada for BI, and also Sean Savage, part of our market structure research team, doing a lot of stuff in the front end and funding markets. And we'll talk about how the Federal Reserve's activities this year might affect all of those markets. So let me start just by giving my own opinion here just for a moment. The, the Federal Reserve, you know, while while Jay Powell was certainly hawkish, he wasn't more hawkish than we were expecting, or at least that I was expecting. Um, he was about on par with, with what we thought, that the Federal Reserve is worried about inflation, they're going to raise interest rates, they're going to start balance sheet runoff. Um, and then they also gave us their principles of the balance sheet reduction, which basically said that they were going to uh, do that reduction very passively and would be – they didn't use these words, but basically like paint dryer on autopilot similar to um, to what happened during the last time that, that the Fed started to unwind its balance sheet. Um, Jay Powell noted that they would start balance sheet reduction very soon after they hiked, unlike last time when they waited over a year before they started balance sheet reduction. Um, and, uh, and and hikes. So so I think at this point we have to ask ourselves why wasn't the market kind of in line with our thinking at the time? I think that's number one. And number two, were there other little nuggets that uh, of information that we received? We certainly received clarity on some things. For example, the passive runoff versus active runoff. I think that's number one. But maybe there's some things that we kind of were missing in there and, and that Jay Powell certainly gave us a little bit more clarity on. Sean, was there anything in particular that you heard that uh, that either gave you significant clarity or that surprised you a little bit that the chair mentioned? Well, I, I mean, I think one thing that was uh, striking in his remarks was, you know, he talked a fair amount uh, about tightness in the labor market and sort of the real side of the economy, which you would expect from from the Fed chair. Um, but comparatively, given the experience we've had in the markets and, and the volatility uh, that we've seen over recent months and, and especially, you know, over recent weeks, he, he he didn't focus over much on that. And to me, that relative balance between, you know, a lot of time spent on the real side and the labor market and inflation dynamics versus comparatively little, again, in light of what we experienced in the markets uh, on what's going on on the financial market side was was telling, I think. Um, I think the other thing that wasn't necessarily a surprise, but, uh, you know, the fact that he continues to do it and the Fed feels compelled to continue to do it was notable, which is he took the opportunity to very clearly delineate rate hikes uh, as a policy tool versus versus the balance sheet. And to your earlier point, Ira, you know, I think that is of a piece with their efforts to continue to remind the market that, you know, 
this policy rate that we is our, is our traditional tool is is what uh, is meant to be the, the main tool for tightening and the balance sheet is supposed to be more in the background when the time comes for runoff. Um, you know, I think I think Sean, if I can if I can just interject for a second. So so I think that is a very important point, right? And and they did mention that again. Jay Powell mentioned at least twice in his press conference, and it was mentioned in the principles of for balance sheet rundown. But importantly, I think for for markets, what basically that's saying is that look, we're going to run down some quantity of reserves over time. It'll probably be the same amount more or less every month. And obviously, there's some nuance in there. But I think from a risk asset perspective and from a market pricing perspective, you know, another, you know, four billion dollars because of you know some kind of um, uh, just just less maturities or more maturities one month is not going to make a big deal. But but importantly is that is that basically that they're once that starts it's going to continue, right? Whereas hikes they might pause, and and that's the way that I heard it. But it doesn't seem like the market did. The market seemed to take that as meaning they were going to hike more because of the worries about inflation that the chairman espoused several times. Did I, do you think I heard that wrong, or is is that kind of how you heard uh, the chair as well? I, that, that's how I heard it as well. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm a little, um, I, I don't know if puzzled is the right word, but but one of the things that I find striking is that people in the markets, and you saw it in the press conference too yesterday, he got a, a question on, um, you know, what quantity of balance sheet runoff equates to a 25 uh, basis point rate hike, right? And that question in and of itself seems to fly in the face of their efforts to, you know, to clearly separate the two tools. Um, I, I think, you know, and the, from the Fed's perspective, they're looking at um, they're looking at what's been going on in the markets, and they're, they're probably thinking, okay, there's you know been a a, a, a not insignificant amount of uh, tightening in in, in short end rates uh, you know over the last number of months. I mean, the two year yield is obviously up uh, almost 100 basis points from from uh, you know from October, um, and I, I think when they get those kinds of questions about you know. X balance sheet runoff equals Y basis points of rate hike tightening. They they probably you know roll their eyes or let out a little sigh of frustration <laughs> in the background because the, the market does seem to uh, be looking for comfort on the rate hike side that they're not getting, and then when they don't get that, looking to try to understand the the balance sheet uh, relationship to financial conditions tightening and therefore the Fed's uh, broader policy stance. Well, that leads me perfectly into a piece that Angelo and I wrote on Tuesday uh, of this week, and I, I suggest that you go out and look at it because, you know, we tried a variety of ways to put a number on exactly what you said because that has been probably the most pervasive question that we've been asked by investors, particularly non-rate investors. I might add, it's mostly risk asset investors, you know, credit guys and and equity folks. Um, and, and what we found is, yeah, we could put a number on it, but it would be a guess. And and I think the way to look at it. Is is a little bit more in terms of how does balance sheet reduction affect liquidity in the market and financial conditions. So how does it affect you know reserve balances? How does it affect funding markets like the repo market, Sean, which you've been you know extremely uh, extremely active in, in researching over the the course of your tenure at, at Bloomberg Intelligence? Let, let, let me ask you this, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot too much because you know I, I know that um, you know this can be a sensitive subject. But you know when when members of the Fed and and you came from the Federal Reserve, when members of the Fed or, or other members of staff, you know, how do they look at the market? So he, Jay Powell was asked that yesterday as well. 
uh, about you know what is the market signaling how much do you look at the market does curve flattening you know matter to you blah 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 and, and Jay Powell says yes but also no uh, at the same time was the way that I kind of re- heard, you know read the tea leaves that he said he said yes we care about the markets but only insofar as they kind of give us a hint as to what the future path of economic activity is going to be um, and uh, is that do you think the way that it's broadly seen within the Fed or, or, you know, and presumably each member has their own little nuance, how they think about markets versus the economy. Um, but, but, you know, what, what's, what's the reaction function to if the stock market does go down, you know, another 10% from here, what is, uh, what, it, you know, does that worry members of the Federal Reserve? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. I mean, you know, first observation I would make is, you know, to your point about, about the, the sort of mixed signals on, on flattening of the yield curve that maybe, maybe he sent yesterday, um, you know, it's it's rare, as you well know, to to pin down uh, a central banker uh, on on any uh, topic where there's a, a there's a, a sort of binary choice set, right? They always want to preserve optionality, preserve flexibility, um, and I think that speaks to, and this maybe speaks to your question, it speaks to the sort of time varying and dynamic aspects of both uh, the of the interplay between the economy and, and and the financial markets, right? So yes, they they do monitor very closely uh, financial markets broadly. Um, and by that, I mean looking at an aggregated metric of financial conditions, um, which comprises everything from, you know, the, the highest quality, you know, short end treasuries to to longer duration assets and, and um, MBS and, and things like that. But they but they also, I think, are very mindful that there's um, and this is obviously one of the lessons that we, you know, got got a very uh, painful reminder of in, in the global financial crisis and, and with Lehman, which is that, you know, it's it's not a one-way street. And by that, I mean, you know, you don't have uh, economic data come out uh, on the labor market uh, or, or durable goods or what have you, and the financial market sort of uh, price that new data in and, 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 you know, reflect an imprint of that data. Yes, that happens. But I think what we also learned uh, is that, you know, financial markets can themselves be uh, contributors to to real economic outcomes, and sometimes that's very much to the bad uh, with, with with a crisis like like uh, 08, and sometimes it's more about you know financial markets are accommodative, issuance is strong, secondary market trading is in various assets is you know liquidity is good, and that and that sort of underpins and supports uh, the conditions for economic growth. So I, I think you know in 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 giving a non-answer to the um, markets versus economy uh, a- answer. Uh, I think what he was trying to say is, you know, if markets matter for the real economic out- outcome and it's sort of like not a one way street at this point in time, then we look at them a little bit differently than if we think that the real economy is, you know, strong, uh, the underpinnings of growth are, are very solid and, and the markets are just trying to, you know, appropriately price and reflect that. And it's a hard thing to to figure out which regime we're in, um, which, you know, I think is one of the challenges that that they um you know, continuously face and communicating to to investors and to the market. Angelo, I, I just want to turn to you for, for a minute or two because you and I have done a lot of work on balance sheet runoff and you know what what pace the uh, Federal Reserve could go. And our new uh, uh, mortgage strategist, MBS strategist uh, Erica Ald- Aldberg, uh, put out a piece yesterday noting that there's you know maybe different ways that the Fed could run off its balance sheet and even run off the the mortgage portfolio faster or as fast as the Treasury portfolio. 
Um, you know, was there anything that stood out to you in in terms of either in the principles or in the way that uh, that Chair Powell talked about balance sheet runoff? Um, you know, we have noted in the past, and, and we have a lot of research on this that you and I have put together about the fact that that they're going to need probably to run off one and a half trillion dollars of their balance sheet before they really start to tighten financial conditions and some of the worries that that Sean mentioned about you know market function. Um, you know, probably is not really an issue, um, at least for the first year or two of runoff, but eventually it will be. But but was there anything in terms of the balance sheet reduction that stood out to you as, as being super important? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and thanks for having me on again. So I think the Treasury, I mean, the Fed maintaining their Treasury only or primarily Treasury uh, portfolio dream is uh, quite uh, apparent and prominent in this, as it was actually also stated in the minutes. So we did get a little bit of a preview of that if uh, you read the FOMC minutes closely to the December meeting. And then uh, the fact that they said primarily runoff, so we we definitely expect a passive runoff, um, but kind of kept the door open and potentially down the road, there may be uh, times, there may be a more aggressive stance on MBS, whether that is uh, a floor. So they're going to uh, they're going to have like 30 billion of MBS runoff regardless. Um, and, and they're going to do that every month and, or it could be uncapped. So if there's 45 billion of MBS paydowns through uh, refinancing activity, they're going to allow 45 billion to roll off. So uh, I think the, this is very preliminary right now, but from the, from what we see right here, we think they're, they're going to go a little bit more aggressive on the MBS front. And that could be either, in the beginning or over a long period of time. So maybe a, few, a couple of years down the road, if things are still going okay, or if they decide to end um, end their quantitative tightening for treasuries, they could continue running off the MBS portfolio and then uh, reinvesting those proceeds into treasuries to keep the security holdings uh, in the SOMA portfolio actually relatively constant over time. Yeah, that would be something, though, for, you know, we'd be thinking about for 2024, probably not for uh, not probably for the next 18 to 24 months, I, w- I would think. Um, and interestingly, you know, as as we do get more information, obviously, we have to adjust our call because we you know, my, my thinking was for a long time that we would um, get about $90 billion of runoff a month and it would be kind of $60 billion of treasuries and uh, and and upwards of, of $30 billion of, of mortgages. But obviously, some of the information that we received yesterday might make us tweak that a little bit. Um, Sean, let's let's talk about some of the what-if scenarios, just one or two things. So when we talk about funding markets, we think about the, the repurchase agreement market, obviously, but we also think about treasury bills. And, and the Fed does own 300 plus billion dollars of treasury bills you know they 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 could run that off very quickly i don't think that they will because i don't think that the federal reserve wants to basically dump 150 200 billion dollars of of t bills into the market all at once just to get reserve balances down um or or the reverse repurchase agreement facility balances down but but you know do, do, how do you think they're going to going to look at the um at the different assets. So basically they have four main assets in their portfolio right now. They have, um, they have obviously nominal treasuries, agency mortgages, uh, that $300 billion of bills, plus a smattering of floating rate notes, which I would maybe lump into that T-bill 
bucket. Do, do you think that they're going to keep their bill portfolio? Would they? Will they, you think that they'll run that off maybe with with its own cap? Um, you know, there's a variety of different ways that the runoff could be uh, designed from a treasury market perspective. And, and I'm just wondering if you think that if they have a particular view on you know bills versus nominal coupons or 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 not. Yeah, I I, I think that they are very likely to keep the T-bill uh, portion of the portfolio. And and I think um, one of the main reasons, and we kind of got an inkling of it, uh, we've gotten an inkling of it many times uh, in, in, in various um, uh, FOMC participants' speeches, and, and we got a reminder of it again, uh, you know, they, they don't like being in the credit allocation business. Um, so that would argue for, to Angelo's point, a more aggressive rundown of, of, of the mortgages uh, uh, position. Um, I, I think if you look at Reserve Manager 101 and Central Bank Portfolio Allocation 101, it's about you know liquidity preservation of capital you know first and foremost and and return you know a, a very secondary consideration so that in and of itself argues for you know the shortest duration highest quality assets like bills um, and I think. Uh, you know, Chair Powell also mentioned um, how the the duration of the portfolio is shorter than it has been in the past. You know, I, I think that as long as they can execute runoff without, you know, significant as the as the economist community calls it, negative externalities on markets, um, I, I think that they're fine with a shorter duration portfolio because again, it's sort of what you would uh, expect of a traditional central banking uh, uh, asset side of the balance sheet. Um, so, so I think for 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 all those reasons, it's probably likely that bills, you know, stay in stay in the portfolio. Great. Well, Sean, thank you very much for joining us. I'm going to turn now a little bit to uh, other news that occurred yesterday. Angelo Manolatos is also our Canadian rate strategist. And uh, yesterday, the Bank of Canada had a meeting. The market was priced for about a 70 percent chance of an interest rate increase by the uh, by the Bank of Canada. But they didn't. Uh, but they did signal very clearly that they were uh, likely to hike at the next meeting. So right in line with when the Federal Reserve does. Um, so, Angelo, you, you know, why do you think that they're waiting, number one? And number two, um, you know, they did talk a little bit about balance sheet reduction, which I think surprised uh, a, a few people here and there. Yes, I think the primary reason why they're waiting is because of forward guidance credibility. So they had a December 8 meeting, and at the December 8 meeting, they reiterated their their outlook for hikes not happening until mid-2022. So although they kind of ditched their forward guidance um, stance in January, and they said that the slack has been absorbed and that the output gap is essentially closed, although there's high uncertainty around any output gap type of measure, as we know, um, I think it was mainly that, that credibility. And then the other aspect of it is, you know, swaths of uh, lockdowns and very high positivity rate and very high amounts of uh, infections uh, with the Omicron variant. That was uh, something that um, Governor Tiff Macklem uh, said and that Deputy Governor uh, also said in the in their um, post-meeting press conferences as well. So on to the balance sheet. So the Bank of Canada balance sheet, something that uh, me and our colleagues at Bloomberg Economics, Andrew Husby, just wrote about pretty extensively before this meeting. And um, just looking at previous communication, how the Bank of Canada um, has been active in the primary issuance market uh, for a very long time and how they've how they've gone about things. Um, we always thought that balance sheet runoff would be passive, at least in the beginning. And that's an indication that we got. Uh, and that was not uh, a 
fully consensus expectation. There was there was a mixed group of people uh, asking, uh, calling for you know active sales, and they did throw a little bit of cold water on active sales at least in the at least in the beginning. Uh, however, yeah, uh, we we believe that they're gonna they're gonna continue a passive uh, passive balance sheet runoff. It's gonna occur sometime after the first hike, so it, it could come with it. They could gain a little bit of optionality by doing the first by do starting runoff in April. Um, but really, what that means is it's just another month of uh, maturities. The big the Canada doesn't have maturities every month. Uh, the government of Canada bonds don't mature exactly every month. They mature most months, but not every month. Um, so what that really means is just the stopping of secondary market purchases when they do uh, decide. So the timing does matter, but it really matters mainly for when those secondary market purchases will stop. Could they guide to something like um, like maybe quarterly runoff or something like that rather than a monthly uh, cadence? Because that that would certainly um, th- that would certainly help from from a, just a timing perspective as to when uh, when things on the balance sheet run off or or not care or just say, hey, we're going to run off our balance sheet like whatever matures. We're just going to let it run off. Yeah. So maturities are really lumpy. But as it works, there's there's constant issuance, and then there's these there's these really lumpy maturities. So that works for both BOC holdings and the actual maturities themselves. So uh, I don't read any other research, but in in my own research, what what I've what we've come to the conclusion with with, with Andrew is that they're actually going to continue in our in our view, they're going to continue doing primary market purchases or restart doing them very early due to how much of the market is is. Um, is is going to be rolling over over the next couple of years, and and one one of the biggest reasons is a how much issuance there was, and the fact that the Bank of Canada has been in the market. They were purchasing fifteen percent of primary issuance for a while, then they were purchasing thirteen percent, and this is pre pre QE, and it, they just lowered their allocation towards eight percent. So we believe that they're going to continue purchasing uh, in primary market, taking down some percentage of issuance. Perhaps in the beginning, in order to you know be more hawkish and allow more of their portfolio to run off, they might stop. But for market function purposes, we do continue to see them uh, allocating in the primary market, um, either in the uh, continuing to do it or st- restarting it relatively quickly. Great. Well, that was Angelo Manolatos. He is a research uh, strategist for both Canada and U.S. rates. And also, I want to thank Sean Savage for coming back on the uh, on the program from our market structure team. I've been Ira Jersey, and we hope that you've enjoyed this edition of the Macro Matters podcast. If you have any ideas for topics that we should cover, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. Until next time, be well.